Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? The world travelers are back. We're having a good time. We're going to do a lot of good Q&As today. Appreciate everybody uh, participating with us. We've got some good questions, and uh, we're going to do our best to answer them uh, in the spirit in which they were asked. So, Conrad, you and I have spent a lot of time together, man. We have, and we want to thank everybody who came out to see us in London, Manchester, and, of course, Glasgow. Uh, a good time was had by all. I'm sure we'll spend more time on that in the future. But before we get going, we definitely need to thank everybody in Huntsville at Stand Up Live and, of course, everybody who came to see us on our Inside the Ropes tour. A great time, huh? Yeah, good time. Anytime you can spend uh, where the gun's not to your head and you can hang around your fans and folks that love wrestling like we do, uh, it's it's never a bad time. So uh, I, I do appreciate everybody's support, Conrad, and I feel loved. And uh, ain't nothing wrong with open. Oh, you know, us, us chubby guys like love too, folks. So keep that in mind. Well, I'm glad that you started with a, a sentence like that, because as we get to our Q and a, it turns out, man, lots of people, when it comes to hashtag ask JR, want your advice on eating. Mike Whitaker writes in Jim, what is the best steakhouse in America? Oh, wow. That's hard to uh, <clears throat> say. Let me think. I can tell you some good ones. You can't go. There's some chains that are real good. Uh, Del Frisco's is a real good steakhouse. There's one in Dallas. There's one in New York city. Uh, Morton's always gives you a good steak. Um, gosh, I, Raphael Morphy, our producer, uh, was there. Uh, we were in Cleveland. Cleveland chop was very good. The great thing about America and, uh, is the fact that there are a lot of really good steakhouses. So, but I like, uh, I like uh, Del Frisco, Morton's, uh, Ruth, Chris, my, my go-to in Oklahoma is a place called Mahogany. Okay. Pine Steaks. If you ever come out there, we'll, we'll go there. But uh, good question, though, man. I find that if you if you can find the, uh, the the those that those steakhouses that have good management, no matter their chain. So in other words, Ruth Chris may be just as good as Morton's or vice versa. It's all about the management. Fleming's is another great chain if you're out there traveling. I like Palm. If you're if you're Palm's going for good. a chain, I think Palm is my go-to. My a smaller chain. There's only a handful. Vic and Anthony's yep. is outstanding. That's that's my go-to in Vegas. Let's talk about uh, Bruce Pritchard. Joseph writes in Jim. Was there ever a time that you and Bruce Pritchard got into an argument, either over a talent to either hire or fire, to the point where Vince had to get involved? No, you guys were never opposed on talent. Y'all usually well, saw. Well, we, we may have different differing opinions, but you know our friendship for thirty years kind of superseded, you know, the egocentric uh, rants about my ideas better and why me and man, you know, no, we we always no, we, Bruce and I did not disagree, disagree on all things. Bruce was more uh, he he came easier into the entertainment side of sports entertainment than did I. So he had a little head start with Vince getting, uh, the, you know, uh, influence. But at one time, Bruce was very influenced by Vince. I think he still is. Of course. Uh, he combed his hair like Vince. It's almost a father figure like yeah. relationship. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he yeah. had a he combed his hair like Vince. He laughed like Vince. <laughs> Bruce, you don't have to laugh, laugh like that. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. That's why Vince laughs. So you're you can't get out of the Vince mode. You're impersonating Vince through your own self. How you laugh. But that's to the influence Vince has on a lot of us that were working there. But no, Bruce and I never had any strong arguments. So we just, but again, we didn't agree, agree on everything, but we could, we could agree to disagree and do it civilly. 
Charlie Thrower wants to know what is Jim's favorite John Wayne movie and what is his most prized piece of John Wayne memorabilia? You've talked about that a lot here on the show that Jan over the years would always find a really cool way uh, to surprise you for Christmas or birthdays or anniversaries. Mm -hmm. And some of that involved John Wayne memorabilia. Yeah, it did. Pardon me. Uh, I'm trying to think what my most, I've got a shirt that he, a personal shirt that he wore that he gave his, uh, that his family gave that his housekeeper, as the story goes, and we bought it on an auction uh, with her her John Wayne collection because she worked for the Duke for years. I've got a shirt letterbox. I've got the hat that he wore, and she wore a yellow ribbon, and this, the cast and crew signed it in pencil the days before Sharpies. I've got uh, three pair of his cufflinks, and lots of times on pay-per-views, uh, I wear the cufflinks. Well, pretty much every pay-per-view, I will have John Wayne cufflinks on. Uh, I have this last hairpiece, letterboxed. Wow. Kind of, kind of weird, yeah. Uh, and I got a letter opener, his last cigarette lighter, a lot of things that she bought just just out of love. And she would, she loved to shop and research and explore the memorabilia world. So that's probably the most... Uh, the most, uh, those things are the ones that stick out to me the most, quite honestly. And I got all kinds of things signed, you know, him and Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, uh, all kinds of, he was a big Republican, was the Duke. And, uh, so, uh, just a ton of stuff like that. It's cool to hear about, you know, Jr. as a fan, you know, we've always known you as the guy that we're a fan of and to know that you were such a big fan and collected all this stuff. It's sort of fun. Yeah. It's a good, it's good. It's a real good link from me back to her. Right. And, uh, you know, I have no idea what my kids are going to do with it when I'm, when I'm dead and gone, but boy, there's going to be a haul for somebody. So I, I have, uh, I'm blessed with that stuff and it brings about great memories. So I got his high school yearbook. Wow. I got, I'm a, I'm a, someone said, you sound like JR's a John Wayne Mark. That's I am a, fair I'm a John Wayne sure. Mark. I'm a Mark for a lot of things. See, I look at that Mark word a little different than a lot of people. Some people look at it. It's, it's totally negative. It's always negative. And I don't agree with that. You're a mark for Alabama football. Oh, sure. Don't make you a bad guy. No. And it's not a bad term. Hey, it's you it's interchangeable with the word fan. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being a fan. And there's a lot of our fans listening who collect various things from professional wrestling. Do you have one piece of wrestling memorabilia throughout your career, even back when you were just a fan, where you're like, hey, this is my holy grail? Probably my, my holy grail of my fan of my wrestling collection. I have a. Uh, I was gifted by Steve Austin the boots he wore when he won his first WWE title. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, be Shawn Michaels. Remember yeah. that? And uh, so he gave me the boots and, and signed it and all that good stuff. So that's pretty cool. That's very There's cool. There's only one of those. That's right. So uh, I got that. It's kind of neat. Vince gave me a, and I got to do something with it one of these days. Maybe I'll, I should have a place like yours, a beautiful home, by the way. Thanks for the hospitality. Uh a uh, pinball machine with Vince and Bobby Heenan on it. Really? Yeah, and it's got very low mileage. It was in the uh, conference room downstairs uh, in a little conference room at the uh, WWE headquarters. And I'm down there doing some work one day, and I, it's always there, and never nobody ever turned it on. I asked somebody, does it work? And, oh, yeah, it works. Nobody's ever, nobody ever plays it. So I'm in a meeting with Vince, you know, later in the, that day or the next day, and I said, hey, uh, Vince, what are you going to do with that, that pinball machine? He said, what pinball machine? The one that's got you and Bobby on it, That's it's down on the, on the second floor. We were on the fourth floor, the executive floor. He said, 
nothing. You want it? I said, well, it'd be kind of cool. I just bought a house, Shannon. I just bought a house in Norwalk, Connecticut, right off exit nine. And, uh, she said, I'll have somebody take it to your house today. So I had to call Jan. Hey, we're getting a pinball machine delivered. Well, what am I going to do? With it? Oh, honey, don't ask. Just tell them where you want it. Put it anywhere you want. And, uh, so it's now been moved from Connecticut down to Oklahoma. It's in my, it's in a room in my home and I've never plugged it in. Well, it has a home at the Conradison. You let me know, and and I'll get it fired up. That's cool, man. I had no idea that even existed. Uh, Rockin' Wrestling Podcast, our great friend Nick, he writes into the show, what are Jim's thoughts on Sting's WWE run? Now, obviously, that would have been, you know, well past when you were doing anything with the company, but uh, he was sort of the last holdout, you know, for years and years, the, the franchise player for WCW. For him to come over, it's a big deal. They pair him with Triple H. They do a bit of an NWO DX thing that sort of feels like it's out of left field. Uh, and then in the end, Sting didn't get his hand raised. What'd you think? Uh, I was underwhelmed by Sting's uh, WWE run. I thought that he should have come in uh, guns blazing and, and had to give the fans a chance to tap into his, uh, his passion and his motions. Uh, he was a big star. I don't think he was ever given the credit in WWE for being the star that he was. And many will say, well, speculate that, it may have been because, you know, the WWE didn't create Sting. They didn't give him his name. They didn't give him his persona, nothing. Uh, and that, if that was a factor, I hope it wasn't, but if it was, it's embarrassing. But I thought he was, it was underwhelming. I, I thought we could have done a lot more of that situation. And then you never know when you, you get injured or you're, you're at that stage of life where injuries are, are more uh, prominent, and then all of a sudden he gets hurt and we can't finish our business. I, I was very disappointed in Sting's run. He deserved better. Sting deserved better than he got in WWE, but he got, I'm sure he got paid very, very well. Uh, but I wish he would have had more, uh, better, more accolades and, uh, and that, that feel that I'm still somebody. And I'm sure he may have felt that way. But I just felt like we underdelivered on how we presented him and boy, we wanted him for a long time. Uh, and finally when it happened, I thought it was a great day. And, and then you bring somebody in like that, you'd go with them. But there was that caveat. He's not our guy. All right. And I think that that, that had an adverse effect. Dave Gray writes in, what's your best wrestling memory in Tennessee from Memphis to the tri cities, whether it's an in-ring moment or a particular night out with the guys, anything, uh, stick out in your Tennessee days. Uh, we had some in the attitude era. We had some great Monday night Raws there at the big arena there in Nashville packed. I think big show debuted in Memphis. Might've might be wrong on that. No, you might be right. Uh, and when I go to Memphis, my memories are, you know, Lawler and I are going out and eating barbecue. Right. Because we both are, you know, like to eat barbecue. He's got, he's got two restaurants there on Beale Street and one in Germantown now. Uh, and I've been to both of them and had enjoyed it all. The food's great. I think my sauce is better, but that's just me. <laughs> my ego gets his ego. But uh, the, the Nashville Raws are pretty impressive. The last flare steamboat match or their three match trilogy was in Nashville and at the old municipal auditorium. And that was, uh, the big angle shot after flair won the match. He had the altercation with Terry Funk, which started their story and where Terry put Rick on a table and pow- gave him a power driver on through a table. I had never seen that. I don't know that that had, that had occurred a lot. It certainly had not occurred on our television. So it was a new move. It was dangerous as hell. It was risky, 
is that outlaw Terry Funk taking advantage of the nature. Just been a great match with the steamboat. He was weakened. All that was good stuff. But that's probably one of the most memorable things. And the other thing on that night that I remember was that we had the Oak Ridge boys there. Yeah. And we didn't need them. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes wrestling fans want to come see wrestling, believe it or not. And not all, you know, I don't know why it, it was Nashville. Well, it was nicknamed the Music City Showdown, and yeah. and they wanted to do what they could to sort of make it local. But, yeah, I'm with you. It wasn't necessary. In hindsight, that match still stands up. I mean, how many times can you, can you hear them sing Elvira? Right. Oom um, Papa Mau Mau. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Big Guns, Justin Andrews, writes in, what is your favorite non-JR brand of barbecue sauce? So if you had to pick a second – or first runner-up mm-hmm. behind your own sauce. Is there a go-to? Yeah. Uh, I like Sweet Baby Ray's. Does a nice job. You know, uh, I'm partial to my own, obviously, but Sweet Baby Ray's is uh, store-bought is good. Uh, there's a place in Oklahoma in Ponca City that makes barbecue sauce uh, called Head Country. Uh, and the guy's name is Head. I'm interested. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about Al Snow here or... Oral sex, Conrad. By the way, no, I'm a bar- I'm a fat guy. I like barbecue sauce. Head Country, H E A D Country, Ponca City, Oklahoma. They ship. Uh, they're very good, really, really good. But uh, but if I, just a commercial brand that's mass distributed, probably uh, Sweet Baby Ray's. Uh, let's do another question here from uh, Justin. He says, "Now that AEW has a pretty full roster, what are they looking for in terms of future acquisitions?" I know that's not necessarily your lane. You're not talent relations here, but you have your ear to the railroad track a little bit. Do you think they have a, a certain flavor right now? Yeah. Size athletic, big guys, uh, you know, guys, I don't know who all signed. I know that I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, Lance Archer. I'm a big fan of Jeff Cobb. I'm a big fan of, uh, the former, uh, Harper, uh, in WWE. Brody, Brody Lee, I think yeah, is that was his name. Going to be, name. His yeah. working name. Uh, good, ta- good talents. Guys like that, that have ability that we all can see that have not been given the total opportunity to become a global star with a spotlight on them. Uh, I like those kind of guys because all those guys I just mentioned are from a, have athletic backgrounds. So that means to me that since a kid, they've been competitive. That's important. And because this business is not easy. So finding athletes to, to become pro wrestlers is not a bad formula. It worked for generations in our, in our country since Bronco Nagurski who's in the NFL hall of fame was quit playing football in the height of his career, quit the NFL to wrestle full time because he made more money wrestling at that point. Uh, so you wouldn't do that today. You'd be, but uh, that was an interesting thing. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I lost my spot. Where were you? Well, we were talking about, you know, what AEW was looking for. Oh, yeah. And you the athletic size. big men. Yeah. Because, and, and specifically, if you want to fine-tune that, maybe athletic big heels. Right. We've got a great roster of baby faces. None of them are giants. That means nothing. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson were not giants, but they were giants in the ring. They drew money. People loved them. And I think that's where we find the young bucks. Kenny Omega's a unique dude. Uh, he's in a team thing now with the hangman page that hopefully will give hangman page the rub that he needs to elevate his game. Uh, and then of course you got Cody with all that great heritage and the, the dreams, you know, the grandson of a plumber. Uh, so we need heels, big heels. Uh, and we would need heels on our roster now 
that we have to evolve and develop. We may have too many baby faces by last count. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong there too. That's just me. So, but I think athletic big men is something that uh, they're interested in, in finding. So this feels like a great place to sidebar. Um, you and I haven't talked about this, but our great friend of the show, Jim Cornette has been very, very critical of AEW, and he's even started to, I think occasionally refer to the promotion as all petite wrestling, knocking the size of the performers. And a few weeks ago, I saw his co-host send a tweet out that he was about to post a new episode of himself and, and Jim Cornette. And you replied something like, are you going to gut and quarter AEW again, WTF? What's your take on, I'm sure you've heard some of Corny's criticisms. Have you guys spoken in real life? Do you just hear the show and see the social media feedback? Or where are you with Corny these days on we're, AEW? We're still friends. We, we've never agreed on all kinds of things because he's the kind of guy that very rarely has a compromising moment. He's very set in his ways. He, know what he, he knows what he likes. He knows how wrestling and his view should be positioned. Uh, and I'm not disagreeing with that. It's just that sometimes the message uh, gets a little bit, uh, I think, coarse, uh, very over, overly generalized. You know, we know what we have. We know what we need. I think basically Corny's pointing out the obvious. He's not provided any information that I've seen that's new and revolutionary. It's the same thing many of us say behind the scenes. There are things we need to do, but look. These kids are working their ass off, Conrad, and they're not all giants. But you go back and look, your father-in-law, Ric Flair's not a giant. No. He did pretty good in his career. Yeah. He might be six feet. He might be, right? Yeah, I think he's probably realistically 5'10 or 5'11. Yeah. Buddy Rogers was 5'8 or 9. That's right. Jim Lonis was 5'6. You go back in all these years, every generation, they're, they're some of the biggest. Or Vern Gagne was six feet. Well, I mean, let's not forget the two biggest draws in pay-per-view for the last, you know, five or six years: Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor. How tall are those dudes? Yeah. How big are those guys? Yep. And you know, drawing money is different. And uh, I think, you know, there's been a lot of armchair quarterbacking about AEW, which I think is a little weird. That you know, if you're a real wrestling fan, why would you want anybody to go out of business or not do well? Right. I mean, I know you're wearing the AEW jersey, but. You still want Ring of Honor to do well and Absolutely. Impact to do well, and it's better that everybody does well. NWA Pro, the, I want those guys to do well. NWA, uh, like you said, all of them. We all have friends. Conrad, as long as I've been in the business, there's not a wrestling company in the world that I don't know somebody. Right. And somebody has some level of influence. So for me to have such a narrow-minded, uh, ignorant point of view that I want – their brands to suffer at the, so my brand can grow is I'm being a coward. That's like I tell our guys now, I don't care what NXT does. I don't care who's on that show. It's irrelevant to me. I want them to do well. I have friends that work there that have been working there a long time. There are people there that are assigned that, you know, Randy Orton's hotter than hell right now. I signed Randy Orton. You think I want Randy Orton to fail? Of course not. So that's how I look at it is that if you're a wrestling fan, either support everybody and their families to make a living or just hold all your overt criticism to yourself. It just, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a negative, uh, influence. And the more negative you bring into your life and that's, you feel like you got to carry it around and then distribute your negative bullshit, just, just distribute it someplace else. I'm not interested. I want everybody to do well in our business. And, and I think if you're a real fan, you love wrestling, we all should think something along those lines. 
it's amazing to me that, you know, all of this has happened so quickly with, you know, the, the, the rise of AEW and it makes me wonder in an alternate universe, and obviously this isn't going to happen for a variety of reasons, but in an alternate universe, how money would it be if everything that Corny has been saying and doing was just leading to lay the groundwork that the revival is going to come in managed by Jim Cornette and go head to head with the young bucks, man, that's old school, great shit that we're not going to see, but it'd be something, something else. Yeah. I don't know that Corny's got a, he probably wouldn't, he'd probably curse me for even saying it. And I don't think Corny's on the top of the recruiting, recruiting list right now. A, he doesn't like to, he won't fly. Uh, some of the shows we do. But we, can you imagine the heat? Oh, hell yeah. Be if, great. if he walked in it's money, oh. but egos get in the mind in the way of money. And that's, that's sad. Yeah. That's a, and if you go back to the basics of why everybody got in the business, I got in the business because I love the wrestling business and I wanted to try to find a spot as a performer and not being a wrestler or a manager. So it didn't leave me a lot of options. Ring announcers don't make any money unless you're Michael Buffer. Sure. You know, uh, no offense to Justin Roberts. They make money, but it's not the same kind of money that you can make a a talent, regular talent. I had to find my way. I had to find what can I do to hang around a little while and maybe get good at it. And so I could actually earn a decent living. You know, I, I, uh, I, I kid myself about, I had two ex-wives and they I paid for their college education. I had two daughters. I love them. It took them nine years consecutive to get their college degrees. So I had obligations. I had family, the rest of us paid for these, uh, these educations and the houses and the cars. So I lived the life a good life still am, but because of the wrestling business. So we can't do that Conrad, if we're all sniping each other and, and bitching and moaning about the least little thing. It's just, it's, and it's just so nice. It's boring now. It's like watching. It's the, it's like this, you know, when a wrestler or you have a big tag match and they gather outside the ring and that one guy's left in the ring and they all hang around for a while till he gets his speed up. So that person can jump over the top rope and they, they'll catch him. Now, what logic does that make with anybody? Stop and think about it. So you got friends and foes standing side by side, not fighting. They're not fighting. And we're waiting to catch like we're the flying Melinda's and if we don't catch you. You're going to go over to the Niagara falls and near death. So now we see that uh, every match, every show, seemingly somebody's going to do something along those lines and nobody ever wins with it. It used to be a great high spot. It's now it's mundane. It's like a side headlock takeover. I've seen it before. I got it. Okay. Move on. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that that's just kind of some crazy stuff that, you know, we just, we don't need to, to me, it's just, it's counterproductive, but, uh, but I still love the, love the wrestling, but golly, am I wrong about that? Is that is it illogical to you? Or am I just overthinking the damn thing? I may be overthinking it. I don't well, know. I, yeah, maybe you're overthinking it a little bit, but I mean, I do think that there's some other stuff that's been illogical that we've slowly moved away. The old, uh, you know, punching a guy in the corner 10 times and mm-hmm. having the crowd count along or giving him, you know, 10 headbutts. Yeah, here's, the, here's the irony of that deal too. You punch a guy in the face 10 times, right? Conrad, right. My dad told me this when I was in the fourth grade. That's a long time, over 50 years ago. Because that used to happen back in the 60s on TV matches. The babyface finally make his comeback. Irish whip the far side, boom, here he comes, follows him in, mounts the second rope and starts punching down. And the little studio audience would count right along like they, were, like they had cue cards. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. And then ironically, miraculously, when the punches ceased, there was no evidence of any DNA. Even SVU, crime scene investigation, couldn't find any DNA. So it was a working punch that exposed the guy. This guy must not be able to punch for the shit. Or this guy's got, I, t- I tried to tell my dad, well, I think I've always heard dad, those wrestlers had thick skin. It's conditioned, so they're hard to bruise. And he, you know, he gave me a BS. Uh, yeah. He said, there's not a wrestler in the world that can take 10 punches from me and not defend them, that there won't be some evidence that I was there. Of course, he was 6'3", 275, and he was a monster. My old man was. I got mom's size, unfortunately. Uh, probably a good thing, though. Um, but bottom line is we do things like that because it's tradition, and we, it used to work, but it don't work anymore. We've seen it enough. And I, I, that's like scratching. One of the spots I hate worse, worse than anything. I don't even commentate on them. I won't sell them. It's when a wrestler scratches a, another wrestler, claws them. Yeah. And then when you're done, there's not one single red mark on the guy's back where he got scratched. So wh- why do we do that? You're not going to beat him with it. You know, at least when the Nate would chop somebody. Oh, yeah. He chopped the living hell out of them, as we saw last week on our show on the, on the, the clash of Corpus Christi. Yeah, him he, and Sawyer were lighting each other up. Buzz and Buzz Sawyer and, and the nature beating the hell out of each other, laying it in, as they say. So I, I, I just think there's some things that we do that are a little bit uh, revealing and unnecessarily. Well, in an alternate universe, Cornette at an AEW show would just it would be great melt. Yeah, it'd be great. I, I look, and I have no, I'm not angry at Corny over. You know, Corny's no. I've known Courtney since the Mid-South days in the mid-'80s. This is worth mentioning, too. And I, I, I don't have a, like, uh, I mean, Courtney and I are friendly, but we're not, you know, we don't exchange birthday cards or anything. Mm-hmm. Some of his shtick is for entertainment purposes. Bingo. It's a podcast, and I think so many fans get knee-deep in the weeds that they just, this is a guy who gets that funny ha-ha has its place in wrestling. I mean, you can go watch some of the stuff they did in, in Smoky Mountain where, and the stuff he grew up on in Memphis. Some of those elements are in AEW today, but if what's hot right now is him shitting on AEW, he's going to do more of what's working, right? Yeah, absolutely. And he's like a caustic comedian. He's a Don Rickles-like. Some younger fans don't know who that is. Go to YouTube and watch a Don Rickles. Watch two minutes of his bit. You'll see exactly what we're talking about. Or Don Rickles on Johnny Carson's show back in the day. Very marketable, got great ratings because he was different. He was he spoke his mind, and you didn't know how serious he was, but you thought it was all BS. He's working us, and I think Corny's that way now. He's just he's just got a that's his gift of of uh, that's his stick. That's how that's how he gets laughs and viewer and, and listeners. So again, I'm not I've never been angry at him, but I don't agree with his assessment of the things things because number one, he doesn't know these kids like I do. He doesn't know the young bucks like I do. Uh, he doesn't know all these other young guys that uh, he's not. Uh, and I and I, look, I didn't know them either. I've had to learn, and I'm still learning more about them. But I'm trying to learn more about them. I want to learn more about them. But he hasn't had that opportunity, nor given him the opportunity. So 
uh, all he's done is point out a lot of problems that we're all aware of that are not discovery. Oh, my God, I never thought of it that way. He's not said anything that's revolutionary. He said the obvious. And, well, and by God, he's right on a lot of things. It's worth mentioning, too. You know, you're seeing a lot of AEW talent. It's really their first opportunity to be on TV, on the big stage. And you go back and you look at, you know, Hulk Hogan's first television appearances or Rocky Mavia's or Steve Austin's. And, and that's not who they wound up being. Correct. So don't assume the minute John Cena bursts through that, that he's hustle, loyalty, respect. He, we get there in time. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to me to see these guys really when they're, uh, at the genesis of their career, you know, some of these guys have been wrestling for three years or less, and that's nothing in, in the old school way of doing things where guys had been wrestling for a long time before they ever got their shot right. at the big dance. And now they're there very quickly. So to see that evolution, it also comes with the responsibility of the viewer of, hey, we got to have a little patience. You know, let's see what well, this but, thing's going to be. But the, none of us do. It's yeah. 30 minutes or it's free. The drive-in never closes. Right. It's home delivery. It's, you know, you know, Uber Eats. Everything's quick, quick, quick. Convenient, convenient, convenient. We don't have any patience. And, and the society, as, as, we, as we move along, you know, as, as I mentioned before, I'm on the back nine of life here, but I can see that patience is a lost art. Yeah, absolutely. Like you and I talked on the way over here today about customer service. Customer service is becoming a lost art. And those yeah. companies, whether it's a mortgage company like yours, very successful, if you stop servicing your clients and taking care of them where they can trust you and you keep, if you don't keep your word, guess what? Your ass is in trouble. Let's um, let's do another question here from Tony Flowers. This is a good one. You're going to put your thinking cap on. If you could relive a single moment from your wrestling career to experience that feeling just one more time, what would you choose? Well. So the feeling. Well, the feeling uh, being introduced by Steve Austin in 2007 at the Hall of Fame ceremony in Detroit. Uh, special. A bunch of my buddies from Oklahoma. Uh, got out of town, I think for the first time or something like that. Uh, Jan was there, right in my eyesight. Uh, a lot of the talents I signed were there, and they were genuinely pleased that I got my acknowledgement. But getting introduced by Austin and having known what Austin said, uh, that was a funny thing that day. Everybody wanted to see a speech. And, and every time he, a producer would ask him if he could, they could see his speech, he got pissed off because he didn't write a speech. He knew what he wanted to say because it was in his heart. And uh, so that day would be very special, 2007 Hall of Fame. And then the next day we'd do the future president of the United States' hair against uh, McMahon's hair. And <laughs> it was a hell of a weekend, day. Conrad, hell of a weekend. Crazy man. day. Yep. Now, Ari writes in, how was working for Bill Watts when he owned the UWF different from when he worked with him at WCW after he had left the business for about four years? So was it a tale of two bills? Yeah, without a doubt, tale of two bills. And Mid-South and UWF, uh, he had no filter. He had no board. He had no superiors. Uh, he ran the ship. He called the plays uh, that he wanted to call in the story. When he got to uh, WCW and Turner, uh, he had to answer to other people above him that did not have his product knowledge, but they thought that they did. It was very frustrating for him, notwithstanding the fact that he had really kind of dis- disconnected from pro wrestling those years. So he had not kept up with trends, who was hot, who was good, who was on their way in, who was on their way out. So he, he, he came in at a disadvantage, but the big thing was he didn't play well with others. I said this about Austin one time, uh, rattlesnakes don't make good corporate pets and cowboy didn't make a good corporate boss. 
because he was used to running the show. That'd be the same deal as this. <clears throat> I don't know. I use a lot of football analogies. He's the owner. He's the general manager. He's the head coach. That's what he did in mid South. He couldn't be all those things in, uh, in Turner. Marty Saban writes in a while back, Nick Aldis stated on Twitter that Hulk Hogan was America's champion, but Bret Hart was the world's champion. What do you make of that statement? And do you think that Brett's international appeal is sometimes dismissed by those who say that he wasn't a top drawing card? Oh, first of all, Bret Hart was a, was a hell of a top drawing card. Uh, and Brett connected with fans all over the world, probably as good as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, why do you think that is? Why is it that I don't Hulk know Hogan a, that maybe that, didn't resonate? The it thing, man. It's just, there was something about his persona, where he carried himself. Uh, how he how he approached the game that fans uh, of more uh, steak than sizzle appreciated. American fans are more of the sizzle brand. A lot of them, not all of them. I get it, uh, but that was I think that's a situation there that you know. But Hogan was. Hey, look, nobody, I, I would think that maybe Nick Ellis is not a big Hogan fan. I'd say I don't know that, but it could be. By the way, I saw his uh, coming up, leaving the Super Bowl. Uh, a week or so ago, I saw uh, Mickey James, his, Alice's wife, was there. She was on my flight from uh, Miami to uh, Atlanta to connect. I think she was going on to the snowy Salt Lake City, and I was coming to Huntsville, Alabama. Roll Tide. <laughs> but she's a sweetheart. But I'm thinking maybe Nick. Nick's a real basic. Nick's Alice is a good hand, man. I wish Nick Alice, Alice was, excuse me, their JR's mispronouncing names again, that old senile bastard. Uh, Nick Alice is a hell of a hand. I wish I wish we had him at AEW. I'm sure any promotion would say they wish they had Nick Aldis because he's that good. But apparently he's not a big Hogan guy. He his style, his approach, mentally, physically more matched the physicality of Bret Hart, and uh, so I could see that. But yeah, Bret was a big draw. He was. I was shocked. I, I wasn't aware the media, the public relations element wasn't in place as much. Conrad, I didn't realize how over Bret was globally until I experienced it myself and heard it and saw it in my own eyes. Uh, he was beloved. I mean, almost scary beloved, especially like in England, Scotland, Ireland, all those places. And, of course, we know Canada. He was a god in Canada. But uh, outside the USA, he was, he's, he was huge. And he may have been as bigger than Hogan in that regard because he actually made a lot of dates. And there's toward the Hogan's end, you know, he was very selective on the dates. He worked and he had a bad back. I get it. So, uh, but Bret Hart is a, a treasure, no doubt about it. I saw where he's battling skin cancer. So you follow him on Twitter at Bret Hart. He'll, you got a chance to either contribute some money or send in your best wishes, but he's the class actress I've ever been around a Bret. I love Bret. Bret's Bret Hart's the kind of guy you'd waste a top draft pick on to bring into your wrestling company, even though he can't wrestle. That's you want him around the boys. You want him to be a coach, a teacher, a, a motivator, inspiration. That's the kind of guy he was, and he still is. You said a minute ago something that I got to circle back to. You said, "Oh, Jr. is mispronouncing names of talent again." Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, you uh, that has certainly been a criticism on social media, and you and I've never really talked about it on the show. But a few weeks ago, Britt Baker continued her her role of of ripping Tony Schiavone, and then she pivoted to you, and you took some live rounds. <laughs> you and I haven't talked about it on the show, but. Some of our listeners were uh, fit to be tied. Yeah. Well, she's she turning. She's changed personas. She's turned her white hat in for a black hat, and she's using uh, the people that 
the individuals that fans know and, and in many cases trust and, and really love uh, as a conduit. So, you know, if Shivani gave her the rub one week and I gave her the rub the next week, uh, you know, that's part of, the, part of the process of trying to help her establish a new TV persona as a villain and not, a, not as the, the, the very nice, uh, beautiful uh, girlfriend of Adam Cole, a, a dentist and all those things. She's changing direction. And she's using people that people do like as a, as a conduit. So I had no issues with the Heck, that's just part of the business. At least I didn't have to kiss her ass. It's not a bad, not a bit of a bad thing, but nonetheless, I digress. Uh, she didn't beat me up. She didn't slap me in the face. I didn't, I didn't like our buddy Eric Bischoff on, our, on your, your Monday show, didn't break a cinder block over my head. Uh, you know, I, was, I, yeah, I mean, Kane set you on fire, so I guess it's been worse. Oh, huh? it's been worse, of course. McMahon's ass. Austin beat me up in Oklahoma City. After how how far away do you think we are from a Tony Khan kiss my ass club? Oh, I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> of course it, not. It, never it, happened. No, that's just not Tony's thing. No. He's more respectful of that. That's another thing about, oh, Tony Khan's, a, you know, the, I think somebody said, oh, he's everybody loves his term. Like they know what it means. He's a money mark. Look, yeah. here's the deal, man. This family's worth eight plus billion dollars. They make money. And they don't, they don't saddle horses that can't run. They make money. And I am on a winning team here. Not the WWE was not a winning team. Of course they are. They're the big dog in the yard. I mean, this is the, uh, you know, this quote unquote money, Mark. I don't feel bad that we're even down this rabbit hole, but he secured the second biggest television deal. I mean, behind WWE, mm -hmm. biggest television deal in wrestling history, is it not? Yeah. And in, in, in a few months. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. From October yeah. to January. Yeah. In three months, yeah. this this old quote unquote money mark has done what nobody before well, he's a, him he's could a do. Kid Conrad, you talked to him many times. I enjoy every interaction I've had with him because his passion and his fandom is it's genuine. Stop. Yeah, it's nonstop, but it's genuine. Yes, it is. He ain't putting some act on to impress the boys. No, uh, he's almost savant like with his recall. Oh yeah, he is. He he says, "Hey, remember you said this at such a." I said, "When did I say that?" I think it was. He said, "Oh, I think it was like '87 or '88." I said, God damn, Tony, I don't even want to have for breakfast today, pal. Yeah. But he's that kind of fan. And he's that way every time you see him, he's never on a dull, he's never on a downward. He's never in a valley. No. He's always feeling good, upbeat, and uh, a great leader and for drinking what we're coffee doing. somewhere. Oh, he likes that coffee now. Yeah, it's funny because uh, he says he drinks decaf. When I talk to Taz and when I talk to Arn, they both have the same takeaway about, man, this guy's such a fan. He remembers everything from my career. I mean, he just. He's uh, and he's listening right now. He listens to all of our. Podcasts. He's a pleasure to talk. He's a pleasure to work for. And again, and that started there in in Long Beach when he came to watch as a fan. Had no dog in the hunt. He just wanted to come watch wrestling. So he came to our Long Beach shows, doubleheader Friday, Saturday, Sunday, rather I mentioned. And he was there both days. And he was there for early. He stayed the last match. It wasn't he loved it? And I didn't, you know, I didn't. You didn't put two and two together. I at didn't. The time. You know, yeah. we we talk. Over cocktails that, you know, what if I told him some guys I would probably want to work with, or I would, if I were him, I'd want to work with, but you know, I had no plans at that time. But really, I mean, getting together for a couple of beers, you know, after the show at the bar, everybody sits and quote unquote books, the territory. Yep. That's not a new thing. No, nope. everybody does that. Absolutely. The boys, he, do it, the boys do it today with their car trips. Yeah. Or airplane trip, whatever sure. they do it today. Our text messaging, everybody's a booker. Right. Everybody's got a better way to do something. And we see that daily, hourly on Twitter. Everybody's got a better way to address a matter or a problem. 
But and if you don't agree with me, you're a really a miserable, low life son of a bitch, and that's unfortunate. Well, uh, Samuel writes in a couple of ECW questions, uh, and they had some real low life sons of bitches down there. But here's one in particular: <laughs> Was there ever any consideration to bring in John Cronus from ECW? The Eliminators were one of my favorite tag teams ever. Reuniting that phenomenal tag team in the WWE would have been incredible. We know Perry Saturn got a look. John Cronus, not so much. We lost John Cronus uh, way, way too young. Was it uh, substance stuff, his physicality? Because at different times he struggled with weight. Yeah. What was it that kept him away from WWE? Uh, this is a lot of little personal issues. Again, comes back to the old reliability thing. Is he healthy? Is his back good? Are his knees okay? Is he, you know, uh, is he clean and sober? And, you know, when you when somebody has a record or a past of, of not being clean and sober, you, they have to be dealt with differently. Right. You can't, you know, it's like, I'll give you an example, and it's not clean and sober, but it's the same, same analogy. The creative in WWE wanted, and I, this, you read, read my new book about bringing Brock Lesnar up early because he was so phenomenal. He'd blown everybody away in OVW. You know, he was doing, uh, he was doing all kinds of things that 300 pound monsters, uh, just aren't supposed to do. Uh, and so creative wanted to bring him in early and I, I put the claw bosh on it and they got mad at me, went back to Vince, same old petty bullshit. So Vince said, Jerry, you're not getting along with the creative guys, are you? I said, I'm getting along with them fine. So they just, they made it, they want to make a bad decision, Vince. I said, here's the deal. Brock Lesnar is going to be an amazing gift for this company. We signed a difference maker. Yeah, I know that. Well, he can't protect his opponents yet. He's not that far along in the training process. So therefore, if he hurts somebody in the ring and that person's attorney says, you know, he was negligent or he was ill-trained. And he said, if I get called to the stand and they ask those questions, I'll say, He's not ill. He's not mistrained. He just didn't have enough training. If that makes any sense, he wasn't trained badly or half-ass. He just hasn't been in the system long enough to protect people. I said, Vince, you don't know how strong he is. He's a special dude now. He's a special cat. So I said, so what happens if he hurts somebody? And I, and I'm on the stand. I got to say, no, he wasn't ready, but we used him anyway. Vince said, God damn, I'm glad you're, you know, thank you. I'm glad you're thinking about things like that. So, of course, then he says, call, uh, call, call creative back and tell them they were not ready to bring Brock in. So I was, you know, the joyful bearer of bad news. Hey, boys, I know you guys want a laser, but I went to the big guy on this one. Ain't going to happen right now. But that was the reason. It wasn't because I wanted to be a prick or, or keep him on the farm longer. It's getting ready so he could protect right. people. Follow-up question from Samuel about another ECW tag team. What went wrong with the public enemy? The infamous match on Sunday Night Heat with the Acolytes is legendary. What did they do wrong, and how was the Heat match received backstage amongst the rest of the locker room? I don't remember the scene backstage. Uh, I don't think it was that big a deal. It was a, a simple matter of egos clashing. Uh, you know, that Paul Heyman had him drinking all that Kool-Aid, uh, the attitude era, or the extreme Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, I, I love to listen to Busted Open. But, you know, and I, I listened to it all, virtually every day with Dave LaGreca and, and uh, Bully Ray and, and Tommy Dreamer on occasion. But they speak of uh, the Tommy and Bully, or Bubba, whatever, speak of uh, in, in, in reverent terms, ECW. So that was the mindset that they had. It was us against the world. And that was the, the mindset that Heyman planted in their, in their heads and that they ran with. 
So I think that, guys, if I sell too much, I look weak. If I look weak, then the brand looks weak. And the guys in the locker room that I work with on a regular basis are not going to be represented well enough. It was overthought, poorly communicated, and ego-driven. Simple. And that's where it was. And we decided to not move forward with uh, Public Enemy at that point because that's not the, we didn't want that brought in the locker room. It's, it's a team deal here. And uh, we didn't sense that with those guys. Were they good? Yeah, they were very good. But it wasn't what we were looking for locker room-wise. We had enough issues. We had enough, uh, you know, malcontents, if you, for lack of a better term or, or any term. But uh, this wasn't there. So, uh, you know, there could have been, but that was their call. Chris Holloman writes, what were the plans for Austin and Rock at WrestleMania X8 if the NWO hadn't come in? So we're between 17 and 19. Rock and Austin are going to wrestle at 15, 17, and 19. 18, they're off. Rock pulls Hogan, and Austin pulls Scott Hall. He's not tickled with that pairing. Mm -mm. Things start to spiral. A few months later, he walks out. Had the NWO not come back, what do you think they would have done? Well, the two guys have been – it wouldn't have been them against each other, first of all. Three was plenty. And every other year for three, you know, for three years is good for Rock and, uh, and Steve. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, that was part of Austin's issue. You got nobody ready for me. And he was right. Uh, Vince Sr. would not let it be the case where nobody was ready for Backlund or there's no heels ready for Bruno. There's no heels ready for Hulk. So we got a situation where we had no heels ready for Stone Cold. I hate to bring it together, but I feel like there's some connective tissue we can circle back. When they were pushing for Brock to get to the main roster, we know he's going to show up a little later after WrestleMania. Would he have been potentially someone that would have been groomed for Austin at WrestleMania 18? Don't think so. A little early. A little early. Uh, But eventually, that was the match. Eventually, that's the match we wanted to have. Brock Lesnar and Stone Cold Steve Austin, both healthy as they could be and and of the great build. But, again, Brock wasn't ready yet. Uh, and he was ready physically, Conrad. My God, he was ready physically when he was in ninth grade. <laughs> you know, he's a freak. Uh, and I wrote a lot about you. We were talking about that in my, in my new book. He said there's a lot of WrestleMania 19-like content. Uh, and to show how much we, we appreciated his work, he and Kurt Angle closed the show on, at WrestleMania 19. It wasn't Rock and Austin. And the reason for that was is that Steve was in the hospital the night before, got out on Sunday, and, uh, you know, we didn't know what we were going to have there. You know, is, is he going to be fatigued, you know, dehydrated? What's the deal? Uh, but I don't think so. I think that, But the eventual match, no doubt about it, man, would have been uh, Austin and Lesnar. And that's the thing that drove Steve home is that he was booked to wrestle Lesnar on a raw and just lose. And yeah. And not even advertise it. Right. It just happens. And that was just so stupid and nearsighted that, uh, and a lot of us felt that way, but nobody demonstrated their, their feelings better, more than Steve. I don't say better, but more, more aggressively. Cause he just said, fuck it. I'm going home. You know, I'm not doing this. He didn't mind putting Brock over. It's never an issue, but why are, draw we wa- money with it, yeah. why are we wasting this? Yeah. And that's, it was a knee jerk. What happens was the creative staff comes up with these ideas because they didn't have anything better. 
Yeah, so they just start throwing things against the wall, and then when something sticks with Vince, we quit writing. We're yeah. done. That's Bingo, we're yeah. yeah. And the thing about it is nobody's going to debate that does Rock versus Austin sound good? You're damn right it sounds good. I just wonder, you know, because if you remember, WrestleMania 18's headlined by Chris Jericho dropping the belts to the returning Triple H who came back and had the big return at Royal Rumble. It does feel like maybe they could have tried to make that a three-way at that point with Hogan, Rock, and Austin. Uh, not Hogan, but um, Austin, Rock, and Triple H maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where that would have put Jericho. It's just it's fun to sort of fantasy I know book. one thing. Jericho and Triple H had to close the show and follow Rock and Hogan. That's a tough and slot, that man. Was a tough, that, that, that was no favor to those guys. And there's where you stand on ceremony sometimes too long. You know that Triple H is going to raise hell if you don't close the show with a title. Jericho, same. We deserve to close with the champions' top match. And you do. I'm not going to argue that point. But on this night, the special night with Hogan oh. and Rock, it's a different. It's a different. You got to use a different logic. Has the energy ever been like that for another match that you recall? I mean, of everything you've called, that had the most energy of everything. Probably right? because uh, it was so many people there in the in the uh, the old dome there in uh, in Toronto. The volume of people and, and the emotional investment. I've often said that you know we knew all Lauder and I knew that the NWO Hogan villain was not going to be the guy we had in the ring tonight. Right. When he got introduced, the crowd were. They're going to love him yeah. instinctively. And I said to, to somebody after the show, I said it was like the return of the Eagles, all intact. And the first thing they sung was Hotel California. Everybody knew the words. Everybody knew the, they knew the beat. They knew everything. They felt it. They'd heard it before. And now we're seeing uh, this guy, our version of the Eagles in, in, in Hogan, uh, against the new guy who's bigger than life. And uh, so we changed the roles. I, I admire the talent for steering the course. They didn't do a lot of things differently than they would, but the roles were different. The subtle things they did were beautiful. And then uh, Lawler and I just went with it. And I, I talk about the book. You know, Vince said, just go with your instincts. Because that was what we did. We, we, we called what we saw. By the way, it's worth mentioning, there are so many wrestlers of this current younger generation, the guys who are just coming up now, that's their favorite match of all time. Really? And, yeah, I mean, Cody Rhodes, for instance, and I know the Young Bucks love that match, and there's so many wrestling fans who are of great influence now, and that's their absolute favorite match. And, by the way, I say that because um, there's not a bunch of 450 splashes in it. There, no. There's not a lot of crazy acrobatics. No, yeah. It's storytelling, but man, they had the crowd on the palm of their hand. And I just think that's a really good sign when, when the younger generation today, it's not a random hooving dude blitzkrieg match from WCW Saturday night. No, it's this Yeah, because the crowd emotion. I mean, if you haven't watched that match in a long time, I think you should go back and watch it. But this time don't watch the match. Just watch the crowd. Yeah. The crowd response is just unlike anything I've ever seen in wrestling. It was really hard. And much as I, uh, respect and uh, appreciate uh, Paul Levesque and Chris Jericho, Christopher Irvin. Uh, uh, they were put into an unwinnable situation. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's the first time that I can recall before or since that I was having a hard time getting up for the main event at WrestleMania. Because I just seen the WrestleMania main event, Hogan and Rock. It was an adrenaline dump after that. And I'd already seen I'd already seen Austin get his big entrance and have his match with Scott Hall. And before that match, uh, Scott Hall was going over. And you saw Undertaker, Ric Flair. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. fun stuff. A lot of stars yeah. and these magical moments. 
but nothing was going to come close to the, the great one and no. the Hulkster. Let's talk about Chris Dunn's question here. He says, when were you aware of Kenny Omega? Were you aware of him when he was in deep South? And if not, uh, when did you first have him on your radar? I didn't have him on my radar in deep South and I should have, but he didn't, he wasn't standing out. He wasn't distinguishing himself. Fundamentally sound, smaller guy, you know, uh, but nothing that jumped out at you at, at that stage of his game. At least I recall when I really got plugged into him was, uh, when he was in new Japan and then I started doing new Japan matches, uh, right before he did all of his, his three matches with Okada. So I saw a lot of Kenny and on our shows that we did for Mark Cuban's network. So that's when I, I really t- clued into him and then, uh, got to meet him at, uh, those, those live events we did in California and, you know, was very impressed by his, uh, student of the game elements, you know, he's, he, he, he's really good at laying stuff out. He's a good quarterback in the ring. Uh, I still don't think we've seen the best of Kenny Omega in this AEW yet. I think he's got his best days are still ahead of him without a doubt. And, uh, but we've got to get him into a hot one-on-one issue and, and that may be coming sooner than later, but, uh, he, he's a, he's a unique guy, man. He's, he can have good matches with about anybody, you know, but I still will say, and, and Meltzer may disagree with me that I thought that Flair Steamboat three matches were just as memorable to me as the three matches I did with Okada and Omega. And the thing about the Flair Steamboat matches that I can say was that they were matches I did in person. The matches I did for Kenny and Okada were on tape. I voiced them over. That took a little bit of off the, off the, 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 the emotion side, but Kenny's, uh, Kenny's best work for us has not happened yet. And I don't mean that in a negative way to Kenny. He's had some great matches, but I seen him at, I seen where he like you. Holy shit! What a storyteller this son of a bitch is, and may and but he had Okada, and there's there's another part. Okada's of Okada's the, the finest dance partner you can have, brother. I'm telling you, and what a sweetheart of a guy. Yeah, I, I know some guys uh, who are on the main roster of WWE who uh, have wrestled everywhere, and everyone who has worked with him almost unanimously says he's the best. He's the best. Yeah. Um. But it is interesting the relationship Kenny has with the Japanese fans. It's almost like something from, you know, back in the day, you know, a Stan Hansen or guys like that who really preferred wrestling in Japan. Dick Byers, the other guy, Conrad, the, the destroyer. Here's what they did. They, they, they made themselves loved by the, the countrymen because they took the time to learn the language. Yeah. And if you take the time to learn the language, you must really be committed to us. And Kenny is fluent in Japanese. Dick Byer, the destroyer, who passed away not too, you know, a year or so ago, one of our great Qualifier Alley Club guys, uh, and what a worker he was his day. My God. But he learned to speak Japanese. He had a talk show on Japanese television. And people, he became a babyface. Uh, here's a, a gaijin, a foreigner, under a mask, who had been this, this vicious heel. And, and gets all the big stars from Onoki and... And Bob were in the same company. Dick Byer was one of their big rivals. And so he became from that hated heel to this beloved character because he spoke our language. He loves us. And he lived there. So it was a, that's how he made the commitment to get, to get himself embraced. And Kenny, to a large degree, did as well. I think that, and I, I saw, uh, you know, I get this, these questions a lot about, you know, you think AEW should work with New Japan? If there's a way to do it, yes. 
if there's a, there's a way to get to get it done, uh, you t- you can't tell me that New Japan having a run getting the Young Bucks or Omega or Cody back uh, on some of their cards would not be a boost. Sure. And we we know that having Okada, et cetera, et cetera, on our cards would be a boost. So if it's a win-win in those environments, why can't the bridge be repaired? I think it's just a personal issue, quite frankly. So it, it comes down to this, communication. Somebody's got to sit down at the table across from each other, communicate, and see what can be worked out. And maybe you did it once a year, Conrad, twice a year. You know, our pay-per-views would be greatly enhanced with Okada on the card, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, no so, doubt about it. I mean, so, you know, he's going to bring it, and, you know, if you could put together Omega Okada 4 in an AEW ring, that's pretty special. Yeah, or, or uh, Okada and Jericho. Yeah, any of that stuff. Uh, Ross writes in, when Vader debuted in the WWF, he was referred to as the man they call Vader. How is this allowed with Vince's known hatred of pronouns? The man they call Vader. It's it's fascinating that sometimes Vince just wants to do his own thing. And so there for a little while, he even tried to get over calling him the Mastodon. Thankfully, that didn't stick. Right. Is, does that just go back to the old, it's not a Vince creation, so mm-hmm. we got to change yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And Vader also had that name before he got to WCW. So you, you couldn't fade the heat to WCW's marketing machine. Uh, Leon White was doing his Vader long before he when he was still in the uh, AWA, for God's sakes. So, yeah, I think that's what it was in that regard. Just Leon was Vader, and, and no other name was going to work. Like you said, uh, Vince liked that Mastodon thing because, it, you know, what the word actually means, what a Mastodon is, but it didn't resonate by, like Vader. No, of course It's not. time. It's time. It's Vader time. I love that. Yeah. We, the, only th- the thing about Leon, I was so sold on Leon after he had his match with Stan Hansen, where the, the, they were so physical, they were t- potatoing each other. Leon's eye popped out or oh, something. Oh, yeah, it's so gruesome. And I, uh, I, I, I convinced the booking committee to bring them both in. And so we did. And because uh, I thought it would add to our cards, and, and, it, and it did. Stan Hansen, I love. And Leon was just, Leon was harder to manage. Leon was a large, Leon had needed care. <laughs> Leon, Leon was needy sometimes. But when it came time to go out and deliver, main event level, he liked to do those fourth quarter games, the game on the line. Hanson was just a badass day one, no matter who's wrestling. You're going to get clothesline. He's going to knock the shit out of you. Uh, he's going to make it real. And the guys on the front row are going to say, I don't know what they said with this wrestling is fake, but that guy over there, that big guy from Texas, he's just beating the hell out of the other guy. <laughs> he did. If you ever run across JBL at, at some sort of autograph session or you know, some sort of meet and greet scenario, you've got to have him tell you some stories about when he was breaking in, sharing a locker room with Stan Hansen. Stan at that age was well past give a shit. So he was doing whatever he wanted. Yeah. And, and he also, hilarious was, stories. Stan was, Stan may be legally blind. I'm not right. sure. So when he was looking at you across the ring and he had that, uh, that, uh, lariat arm cocked, you just were hoping he would hit you in the chest, not the teeth or the nose or above the eye your cheeks, he'd break things and he didn't do it on purpose. He couldn't see you. So sometimes he got so close when he finally could get into focus. Uh, but it was a potluck deal. And that's the thing that uh, I think Layfield told me that story one time. And others have said the scariest thing in the world is standing in the ring, waiting on him to get there. Cause you don't know exactly where he's going to hit you with that clothesline, but you know, it's going to be stiff. And it's going to look real. Well, cause it is real. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brian writes in, 
Um, what was it that finally convinced McMahon to put Guerrero in the main event scene? What were some of the characteristics that Eddie had that maybe Vince loved as a performer? Charisma. Charisma. The fact that Eddie could work with anybody. He could work with a bigger baby face and make it real. He could work with a bigger uh, heel and make it even more real. Uh, he, he brought the best out in everybody. If you look, if you pull the locker room, uh, they're going to tell you that the two best workers we had at one point in time was Benoit and Eddie because they were, and, uh, they were fresh. Eddie was hungry. He didn't want to be called a cruiserweight or a, a midget or whatever. Uh, he, but I think his consistency and the fact that everybody didn't want to work with him. When you have top guys going to the old man, just get FaceTime and they're going to tell him, Vince, if you ever, I get a chance, I'd love to work with Eddie. Enough of guys did that. And they did that. Vince said, well, there's something here. And there was, he beats Brock Lesnar in the cow palace. Eddie Guerrero at 190 pounds, Lesnar 290, made it believable. Nobody talks about whether well, there's such a weight disparity. I didn't really get into the match because of the weight disparity. Well, then you're overthinking it, pal. You're overthinking this performance art. Because Eddie Guerrero pulled that off. I was there. And, man, it was emotional as hell. It was great. I cried. A lot of guys cried because it was for him, it was a realization of a lifelong dream to be the top guy in the biggest company. But not too long before that looked unlikely. You know, he had that horrific New Year's Day crash just a handful of years prior to that. And, you know, the future was not guaranteed. And he had played hokey pokey with life a few times. And to come out on the other side and now be the top guy. Because having that belt meant you were the top guy in the world. Yeah, everywhere, every promotion. So he finally arrived all five feet, eight of him. So uh, I just, I loved him. I think about him a lot. I say, uh, some people didn't understand my logic of saying that uh, Sammy Guevara reminded me of a young Eddie Guerrero, and he does. There are certain conversations I've had with, with uh, Sammy. They remind me of conversations I've had with, I had with Eddie at different times, highs and lows in his life. I know I always stuck by his side because I believed in him, and I knew that he had a good heart, Conrad. A good heart it goes a long way with me. It really does. And, and he, Eddie had that and the passion. And, you know, I told you the story, and I'll hit it real quick, but, you know, when he found out he was opening up a pay-per-view, he was violently angry. He demanded to see me and wanted to change and all that stuff, and I explained to him how important the first match on the pay-per-view actually was. He got the point, and he went out and tore it up. So, uh, and that didn't hurt his uh, stature in the company either. Opening the card and stealing the show uh, was pretty damn impressive. So, but Eddie was just special. And, like I said, I think the talents coming to Vince saying, Man, if I get a chance to work with Eddie, or they come to me and say, "JR, the house shows, live events, can you book me with Eddie sometime?" They they wanted it. They wanted the experience of working with him. They learn and to feel what he does is so damn special. So I think Vince got plugged into that, and and then of course you get the people that start chipping away. Well, you know he's he's a, you know Vince he's the shortest champion we've ever had in a company. He is. Aha! I didn't know that. So what does it matter? What does it matter? People loved him, and he was a great, just a great performer. I'm glad that before Eddie passed, he got those moments. Absolutely. I really am. I'm blessed that we were able to, to do that. Because uh, I think at least that was a happy thing in his life. And, you know, when, he, when we lost him, I was just, I thought we were out of the woods on those issues. I didn't know he had, you know, heart issues, whatever it was. Right. You know, I'm glad. The good thing about WWE nowadays, there's a lot of good things about them, quite honestly is that they, are, they have a great medical program in place to take care of their talents. 
because some talents just won't take care of themselves. And that's like we we got we all got somebody in our life that we know that don't want to go to the doctor. They're afraid of what they're going to hear. And uh, I used to be that way. I'm not that way anymore. I'm probably a little more hypochondriac like, but but I want to make sure I'm okay. But Eddie was just so special. I think I'm glad that question came up, and I appreciate it. Landles writes in, Jim, when you officially retire from pro wrestling as an announcer in AEW, who would you like to pass the torch to? Excalibur. He's uh, the guy. Does a good job. And I, I, I'm, Tony and I both have made a commitment to share any knowledge we have, anything he wants to hear with him, because somewhere down the road, he should be the voice of AEW. And But I'm not quite ready to step aside right now, neither is Tony. But we're actually having a great time. You know, traveling with Tony from time to time. Uh, we did a show in Huntsville, you know, a couple weeks ago, a week ago. He's a fussy bastard. Oh, yeah, he's, he's an old woman. I yeah. love him, though. He is. He's uh, a weird guy. I, 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 finally, I finally convinced Tony Khan how valuable Tony Schiavone would be if he was on our team and all the things he could do for us. And uh, that was the best hire, one of the best hires Tony Khan has made is getting Schiavone back in the game. Uh, and I'm so glad he's on our team. But Excalibur's evolving, learning. He's never he was never on a national broadcast. He was doing you know little uh, very inexpensive little streaming shoots on at PWG. So he's he's still he's like a lot of our guys we have in the locker room. He's new, he's green, and he's learning. But he's going to be really good. No doubt about it. Let's uh, keep it moving. Let's do a question here that I know you're going to have an opinion on. It comes to us from Ben. As a longtime wrestling fan, I felt my fandom wane in the last few years, thanks to bad booking, silly stories, etc. As someone who spent his entire life in the business, was there ever a time where you felt like you were falling out of love with wrestling? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. About falling out of love is what I would describe. I've had uh, some, you know, if, if wrestling has been my mistress all these years, sometimes uh, your mistress can betray you. And uh, not be there when you think that he or she should be. Uh, there were times in there were times in WCW when we had so many booking changes, administrative changes, talent inmates run the asylum. It was very frustrating to go to work. That probably was the closest thing. Uh, and then I don't know in in uh, the era of where we got into an era of, uh, in WWE where we had Goon. And, you know, we had T.L. Hopper. We went to nothing, not against those guys because they're probably better workers than a lot of the workers we had. But it, it was just a matter of I didn't like that direction. Trying to create characters in that regard was not something I thought was the right thing to do or appropriate at that time, timely to say the least. That, that was a little bit, I don't know what the hell era we call that. Is that the, what was that called? The, uh, don't the, it wasn't the Attitude Era, obviously, but it was something else. Uh, ruthless Aggression. Or something like that. You mean before the Attitude Era with all the silly occupational gimmicks? Yeah. That was uh, the new generation. It was horrible. Yeah, it was. It was It was fake. And we we know as wrestling fans, because we get hit with it enough, about the principles of our, love, our beloved business. Let's still go out of our way to create more fake. Right. Let's still go out of our way to make more eye-rolling content. Let's still go out of our way to create more bad drama scenes. Bad acting. He didn't remember his lines. That's not the way uh, it should be, in my opinion. Over the Line Sports Podcast wants to know, how do you think your old friend Bob Stoops will do coaching in the XFL? 
Will Dallas be your rooting favorite? Without a doubt. You know, Bobby's my, one of my best friends, Coach Stoops. He had me on the sideline for 20 years or OU games, and Coach Lincoln Rowley has done the same thing with hospitality. I was on the sideline for the uh, college football playoff against LSU. Go Tigers. Good old Ed Orgeron. Go Tigers. I could probably do Ed Orgeron, right? Ed, go Tigers. <laughs> so, Sounds pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I like uh, – Bobby's a great guy. He was on my couch with his wife sitting and talking to me uh, within 48 hours of Jan getting killed. You home, JR? Yeah. You know, we want to come by and see you. Okay, come on by. I just watching March Madness and trying to get over what's happened. And he came over and spent the afternoon unannounced. I'm sure you have better things to do, but he just wanted to make sure I was all right. That's Bobby. So he's got passion, Conrad. He's committed. He, he, he's a, he, and I think the team will play really hard. They've had some. They've had. They got. He's he's hired a really good staff. Uh, They should be fun to watch. And he told me the other day. He said, "I think we have like three or four running plays. (laughs) They're going to throw that damn ball." Just airing out. Yeah, Landry Jones is one. Is right now the starting quarterback. I don't know how that's going to work out. He's got still got a. They say he's got a great live arm because he played behind Roethlisberger, the Steelers, for all those years. Well, you and I missed you know the kickoff this past weekend in the UK, but I'm looking forward to catching up some games. Maybe we need to do a, an XFL tailgate sometime. That'll be fun. Well, I don't think, I don't see why not. But I can. But I, Dallas would be my team because Bob Stoops is there, and, and I believe in him. Elliot writes in: um, uh, How many of the wrestlers actually contributed their own recipes to the cookbook? Can you take the heat? China's guacamole recipe <laughs> recipe is uh, revered in my house, having been served as part of a picnic lunch on my first date with my wife. Wow. So how about that? A little Pretty closing good. action with China's guacamole. Did wrestlers actually contribute? Or is Some this like did. A, okay. Some did. It was like uh, asking uh, defiant students to turn their homework in. They missed their deadline about 10 times, seemingly. Uh, some of them are Johnny on the spot. Some of them, you know, there's where Jan came in. She she could hold the wise. Well, he didn't tell me he needed this. He didn't tell me, you know, so she was instrumental in that regard, but not as many as you would think, Conrad. It was a little bit disappointing because they all got a little royalty off of it, uh, but not as many as you'd think, but that's, that's typical. So we, Jan and Dennis Brent uh, came up with other uh, ideas that fit the character, and I'm not so sure that Joni's guacamole was Joni's. Very well could have been because she was very, usually very cooperative and things like that, but a lot of talents didn't do nothing. They just... Let's let it slide. And I'd, either, I'd ask him, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell her. Oh, yeah, I forgot. So that's what you get. It's just yet you can't go crazy about it because that's just how they are. Brian would write in, what is one match in wrestling history you wish you could have called? That's a great question. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, selfishly, it would have been the night that Mick Foley won the title uh, and uh, his first title against uh, who would he beat? Uh, Triple H, man. I don't know who he beat. I Foley's first title? Yeah. Yeah, he beat Triple H. So uh, I was sick. I was on the IR with Bell's palsy, the facial paralysis. I'd love to no, call No, no, he beat The Rock with help from Triple H okay. and DX. That's what it is. My apologies. Uh, but bottom line is, that was a, a monumental moment for Mick. And I had pulled every monumental string I could to get him hired. Uh, and as I wrote in our first book, you know, Vince, I think, he told me, I want you to know what it's like to get your heart broken because he's not going to make it. And all of a sudden, Mick just keeps delivering and delivering. And then he gets, he has these great matches with Undertaker. He had a great influence and still does with the old man. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden, 
Taker says, I like this dude. I like, right. work, I like to work with this cat. Sure. So, you know, 6'4", 300 pounds. It's believable to sell a guy like that easily. And he and he fed a comeback amazingly. And he was just Mick. So that match would have been a good one uh, to call. I'm trying to think. Uh, I love to call, and just pick you out one. Uh, I called a match where Flair lost the NWA title or the WCW title. And, and then I called a match where he won it back. But it, I'd love to have been uh, to call uh, one of those big high-level NWA title changes, Dusty with somebody, Jack Briscoe and the Funks, those kind of things. So I'd love that because that's, to me, what my wheelhouse is. My wheelhouse is most definitely hardcore, physical, logical wrestling and not sizzle, 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 not spot, spot, spot. You don't need me sitting there to say, ooh, ah, oh, what a move. He's over the top. They all caught him. I'm going to leave my ass out. Let somebody else call that stuff that, that believes in it because I don't believe in it. And if I don't believe in it, I can shit on it or I can just lay out and, and not say nothing detrimental or what, and leaving my two partners to say what they want to say. And that's kind of what I do in some of those situations. Uh, so things are illogical. I can't make them logical. It's weird that as, we're, as I'm thinking through like some of my favorite matches, it would have been really weird to imagine your voice over old WWF programming. I don't know why that is. Well, let me tell you something. There's some programming probably on the network. Lawler and I, and it was in Philadelphia. We got to Philadelphia. They said, we need you guys to do some voiceovers. We're going to, we're going to erase some vo uh, voiceovers, and we're going to have you guys uh, revoice the stuff. Okay. And a lot of it was uh, Hogan-oriented. Hogan as a heel versus Bob Backlund. Uh, a lot of the old stuff in the eighties with Freddie Blassie and things like that. That was a real blast for me. The pace is a little different. Yeah. More deliberate. The stories are being told brick by brick. I just couldn't imagine replacing gorillas, the immovable. Oh, know. I wouldn't want to do that, man. I, I'm just saying like, yeah. that's so it fits with it. And the idea that even though you're the greatest wrestling announcer of all time and everyone <laughs> agrees, if you slide your voice into that spot, it's like. No. That's like writing with my left hand. I, I can no. do it, but it just feels weird. I'm with you. No, you're right. You're right. No, I, I have no business even thinking I could replace or substitute for Monsoon. I meant on Twitter the other day, at JR's BBQ, that, uh, you know, Monsoon and, and Heenan, there was a little snippet of them on TV. What a duo. Oh, magical. Magical. I loved them. Loved them both. Still do. Jeffrey writes in, what did JR think of the 2008 film The Wrestler? And what did he think of Randy, uh, the Ram? Uh, of course he's talking about Mickey Rourke's performance as Randy, the Ram. Uh, I like Rourke's performance more than I liked him when I met him. Rourke I, was an asshole when you met him? Little. Okay. It wasn't a guy that I'd probably want to go and have a cocktail with. I probably wouldn't have a Moscow. Mule. Was he rude to people or just big dog you? No, he's just big dog and anybody in general. Okay. Uh, Cherico's got great stories about that, you know, uh, for, you know, Rourke, uh, brought, he came to, uh, Frank was, Shamrock for no fucking yeah, reason. Yeah. yeah. Bodyguards. But I, I, but the movie was well done. The movie was very realistic and it was sad. It should have been a great wake up call to any promotion. Don't let your roster disintegrate like this guy. Right. You know, there's, we didn't do, he didn't, he, he wasn't managed very well in that regard, but the movie was very realistic. Anybody that hasn't seen it, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, I suggest you watch it because you probably will enjoy it. Uh, but on a personal side, the, the Rourke deal, I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, and But that's just me. He may not be a big fan of mine either. That's cool. 
but I thought the movie itself was very realistic, very well done. Uh, Terry writes in, what were JR's thoughts of Vince McMahon's heated interview with Bob Costas? Of course, he had a couple of interviews, but the one uh, got sideways in a hurry. Yeah, it was embarrassing. You can't let, he lost his composure. And you can't do that in, his, in that role, but he did. He took things very personally and was Costas. Costas, look, Costas is a little arrogant prick, too. You know, he ain't a little, pretty little Bob Cottle or Bob Cottle. Bob Cottle's pretty good than Bob Costas uh, in my eyes. Uh, you know, Costas got what he wanted, a reaction. Vince overreacted. Right. And it was detrimental, I thought, to uh, his persona and his legacy a little bit at that point in time. But I was a little embar- embarrassing. It's because I had people say, what the hell's wrong with your boss? So sure. I, you know what I told him? You know, he's a, he's a villain. He's on TV. He's stayed in character. Oh, that Mr. McMahon guy's a, he's a, he's a prick. And so that's what you saw, Mr. McMahon. I was making that up, but I was trying to cover it for him. I did that a lot. But that was the deal. I thought it was a little bit embarrassing. And I think if he'd been had it to do all over again. Hell, he would handle it totally different. Entirely. The, yeah, the Vince McMahon of, of today, never in a million years. What did we get to that point? Uh, Demet McCarthy writes, I asked this on the Arn Show, and I'd like to put this one to JR as well. What are your thoughts on Cassius Ono slash Chris Hero? One of my favorite matches of his is between himself and William Regal in NXT. I think he's woefully underutilized, and I would love to see him and Cesaro reform the kings of wrestling someday. Of course, that was a, a big tag team run that they had right. probably 05, 06, yeah. maybe 07. They were good. Great stuff. Uh, oh, no, for whatever reason, uh, hasn't made it to the main roster, uh, but lots of great matches under his belt. Don't, and don't. he saw all of his peers, Kevin Owens and Cesaro, mm-hmm. and all those guys make it to the main roster, and he did not. The the misconception on uh, Cassius Ono is that he's not committed, which I find to be laughable, uh, very and, underutilized. And that's based on aesthetics? They yeah, just, yeah, look. Because he doesn't have a six-pack, he's not committed? Doesn't look like he's in shape. I don't, I'm not saying he's not in shape. Sure. The perception is... He's not fully committed as far as he's been asked to lose weight, reshape his body a little bit, diet, get back, get better, better nutrition, better workouts, more cardio, blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to compare the two, but isn't it a little ironic that a guy who's in that same promotion hears that when we're literally on the heels of the Dusty Classic? Like, Dusty Rhodes was not yeah. a, a well, six-pack washboard no, ab guy either. But he had, he, he had unbelievable charisma. Combat. Sure. Oh, I'm not comparing the two. Yeah, and the... That's not the case here with this with Cassius. I like the guy. If I had a promotion and he was available, I'd hire him. That's about as good as I can tell you what I think about his work. I think he's very uh, he's very down to earth. He's very reliable. He loves the wrestling business, but he's never going to look like uh, uh, a bodybuilder type guy. But you know, it, to his own detriment, he he stood on his ground and and decided I'm not going to change my body, and that's that was the issue. Here's the thing about that. Maybe he's right. Maybe you shouldn't have to change your body. But if the role that the, that the casting director, i.e. the booker, wants to utilize you in and your body type isn't that, uh, then I see you looking. Yeah, yeah you're not, they're going to pass over you and get somebody else to do it. And that's happened to him a lot. So all of a sudden, now you're 35, 38, 39, whatever, and the time's running out. So uh, is he still in NXT? Yeah. 
And I think he's well well liked. And I mean, I've never heard anybody say anything sideways about Chris Hero ever. Me neither. And look, Chris maybe be tickled to death just to be there in that role. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's worth mentioning. Everybody has different paths, right. and if he's enjoying what he's doing, why should we want him to do anything different? And, and to be clear, uh, me and you haven't talked about this. What would any main roster WWE talent say is the worst part of being a main roster WWE talent? Well, not being used would be one thing I'd say. Travel. Travel. Yeah. My goodness. It's not the mm-hmm. getting in the ring and getting to the arena. That's the tough part. It's between towns every yeah. night. That's yeah. just brutal. And that's not the experience in NXT. I can right identify now. with that even today. You know, we, we work on Wednesday nights, but you got to, you got to prepare to leave. You got to get to the airport on Tuesday. You hope, you know, all that stuff. You got to get home on Thursday at whatever time. Uh, the, the cases where you stay later or you go leave earlier. I leave. Sometimes I leave home on Mondays to come into a market like uh, Huntsville was, and then do media. So, uh, yeah, I, I see. And you're doing that for one show a week. Main roster guys are doing that for four or five. So yeah. it's, a, it's a different ball but game. He's a, he's under, he is underutilized. The great thing about Chris, Chris has the patience, the class, and the integrity to have good matches with guys that are way under his skill level. And that's how those guys, the younger guys, the young prospects, will get better, always working some, with somebody off-Broadway that's better than them. That's the formula. And Chris Hero can do that with any young green guy that, that they're bringing in. So he's very valuable, but I'm with you. I'd like to see him get his break somewhere down the road and see how he could perform in a meaningful program on one of the main rosters. We haven't talked about this. This isn't a question on the uh, on the Twitter machine, but Alex Shelley just announced that he's you know doing some stuff again and recently popped up in NXT and – I think he's even got some big WrestleMania weekend plans coming. Why was Alex Shelley? Do you know, are you familiar with Alex Shelley's work at I, all? I know who he is, uh, but am I overly familiar with his work, his stylings? I have to be honest and say no. I think you dig it. Yeah, I know who he is, and I know that I've seen him work before, but I've never focused in on it. I've never seen him do things bad stuff. He does right. all the typical things that guys do right now, and stylistically. Uh, but other than that, I don't know what is, uh, what the deal is, you know, why he's where he is or whatever the case may be. And again, like we said earlier, alluded to it, this may be where he wants to be. He right. may, he, he may, some guys, I talk to guys, you know, in NXT now that don't want to leave NXT. They want to why stay. would you? They're making good money. And you're home tra- most every night. I mean, yeah, they're not cra- it's a great like, quality yeah, of life. Chris writes in. Bruce Pritchard has said he heard Vince McMahon talk about creating their own network in the eighties. When did you first hear Vince talk about it? And did a network seem more realistic after the acquisition of the WCW library? Of course, back then he thought it was going to be, uh, you know, an over the air, uh-huh. you know, like the Oprah network. Now uh-huh. there would be a WWF channel. Right. When did you first hear that? 93. Wow. Our first meeting in uh, Augusta, Georgia, when he hired me. How remarkable. And because uh, that was an idea I had, not that he didn't have it also, but I said, you know, you're, you, and here's how that came about. He was in the process or uh, discussing buying the AWA library. And I, you know, we just basically mentioned that a lot of those promoters have not, didn't, they didn't destroy their master tapes and somewhere along the way, but that was the whole deal. I said, God damn, I remember saying it really, it was really crazy. Now it makes no sense. I said, if they can do a weather channel. Why can't we have a wrestling channel? And uh, he 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 liked the the analogy, 
But yeah, that was the idea, like Bruce said, to, to have a network, uh, like an Oprah network or whatever. And then streaming came along, and it became more fashionable and easier, more to, profitable and yeah, feasible, yeah, and all that. Yeah, the, the 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 expenses were not quite as exorbitant. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was always he had that idea. Same thing. We had the same idea, same conversation about a radio network, which I guess would be basically a podcast network. I know they're now too. In, in 1993, so he always is looking for, at the big picture. And I think that's what he and I got along well because sometimes when I would not allow myself to get caught up in the minutia of an angle or, or not getting my what I wanted on a storyline or, or a program, uh, he liked my fact that I was a big picture thinker. And uh, I think that's he's that way today. He's that way today. Somebody's It's unfortunate that somebody's not bringing him the creative that he needs, that he likes, because I ain't seeing it. So, But that's, easy, that's easily fixed. That might be him right there. Two more questions, then we'll get out of here. Uh, Mike wants to know, has Vince ever tried chocolate cake? And if so, have you tried it with him? <laughs> I never had chocolate cake with the old man. Uh, uh, I've had chocolate cake with a lot of other people in that company, but never with the chief. Uh, you know, the strongest thing I ever saw him do was uh, uh, drink some uh, doers. White label, right? Yeah, he likes a scotch. Yeah. And uh, that was it. You know, he... But I think in, in 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 our secret life, behind the scenes, Bruce and I smoked enough to to take care of everybody's needs. And Briscoe, tag him in. Oh yeah, Briscoe. Between liked the it. three, y'all, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Chris writes in on a number of occasions. You've said wrestlers should quote converse and not confront the Irishman. Uh-huh. Is this philosophy based on your experience or someone else's? My experience. I've deserved it. I've had to. I've had to put a fire out when somebody came in. One of the talents. That off your roster, goddammit. I ain't gonna have that. He's gonna talk to me that way. Okay, I'll take care of it. And so and I, you go to the town and said, I thought I told you. I tried to suggest to you to converse with the boss. Don't confront. You, you're easily pre- replaced. He ain't gonna replace himself. Don't be stupid. But yeah, that's my own personal experience. I found out, look, I've had some of the greatest conversations in my business life one on one with Vince McMahon. And I could say anything I wanted to say in any presentation. I, like saying, Vince, that's a stupid effing idea. Goddamn. What do you mean? Then he goes back, you checked out my track record? Yes, I know about your track record. That was yesterday. What do you say? What do you do for me today? And this ain't going to help us. But if I, I would never say that. with I would say that with Helen Keller in the room. I just He, he doesn't do well with that. But one-on-one, he's, he's the best. But he's not, if he's not one-on-one, it's a little bit more daunting. But, yeah, that's my personal experience. But quite frankly, Conrad, think about this. On, on the line of converse, not confront. That works in your relationship. That works in your business, so in your mortgage business. That works in me trying to sell barbecue sauce off of uh, JR's BBQ.com. Communicate is the key to everything. And uh, so that's kind of where I, I look at that deal. Don't confront him. Don't give him ultimatums because you're losing, man. And he's also going to find out how stupid you really are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not an image you want to pro- project to your, to the, to the most powerful man in the business. So, uh, yeah, that's how that's, but I learned a lesson there. I try to do that in my day, everyday life. You get more, you know, the old, my granny would say you get more flies with honey than vinegar, oh, right? You think about, well, yeah, that's true. It's logical. So that's kind of where we are. I, 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 uh, it's good advice for anybody, any of our relationships. Well, let's try it here. 
please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. And tune in every Thursday to hopefully your favorite wrestling podcast of all. Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. And don't forget, Jim, you've still got uh, some books coming up on jrsbbq.com. You've shipped thousands of orders now at this point. Uh, I can't believe you're still slinging uh, rubs, mustard, ketchup, <laughs> sauce. Everything's over at JRSBBQ.com. That's Mama, Mama and, and Jan's deal. I really want to – I feel obligated. I need to help build that. That was going to be their deal. And, you know, they, I outlasted them, God bless them. And I want to represent their image and their visual and their, 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 their what they did. And that's why JRSBBQ.com is where we're selling all of our sauces we get an order in today. We're going to ship it tomorrow. So, or maybe today, depending on what time it comes in. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. And I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect of my life. Being a little bit of an entrepreneur like you are, you know, you got a, one of the most successful mortgage businesses in, in America and you're here, you are sitting across from me and it's here in the studio and we're doing podcasting because I know why you're doing it. We make a little bit of money here and there. We do it because we have fun doing it's it. It's fun doing it. We have fun doing it. Because I don't know how much fun the mortgage business is. It's a great. It's a lot of fun when the, when that the, the heavy cash falls to the bottom line. That's a, <laughs> that's a damn blast. But you know, uh, it's not as exciting as this. It's not what we do, and we're both talking about things that we love. Absolutely. And that's why our podcast is growing exponentially, because people like our honesty, and I ain't bullsh- bullshitting nobody. Uh, I I like being honest with the fans, and that's why our our, our side shows, our stage shows, work so well. Rochester coming up, you know, we're going to do something in Rochester. Absolutely. Coming to see you. And AEW is going to be there the next night. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already, at JR Grilling. Tune in every Thursday right here on Westwood One. And tell your friends about your favorite new wrestling podcast around Grilling JR. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.